Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Holiday Insights Series, a new podcast series produced by Retail Touchpoints and sponsored by Salesforce. I'm Alicia Esposito, content strategist at Retail Touchpoints. Over the next few months, I'll be interviewing experts and influencers across all areas of the retail world. We'll delve into the latest customer trends and technologies and how they'll impact retailers' holiday experiences. We'll also provide some ongoing updates as the season goes on, so you can refine and optimize your strategies as we head into the new year. Well, everyone, we're in the heart of the holiday season officially, so we figured for today's episode, uh, we would just do a quick check-in and see how the retail industry at large is faring, and most of all, how consumers are shopping. So I'm really pleased to have Brian Gildenberg, Chief Knowledge Officer of Kantar Consulting, joining me today, because I have a feeling he's going to be sharing some great insights and perspectives on what's happened so far, and most of all, what's to come. Brian, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Oh, sure thing. Uh, it's a pleasure, pleasure to be on the show. So Brian, you oversee Kantar Consulting's research and thought leadership, so I'm sure keeping an eye on emerging trends is really critical to your day-to-day life. So to kick off our conversation, what are you seeing this holiday season specifically? Are there any new or out-of-the-ordinary trends coming to the surface? Um, I think um, I think essentially what you're seeing is sort of a, a continuation of trends that have been going on for a while. And I think that's one of the one of the key themes we always try to get people to keep in mind with retail is that um, for all of the talk about how quickly retail is changing, um, in real life, it tends to move it tends to move quickly over an extended period of time, but year over year, uh, you don't always see enormous shifts. So this year, I think you saw a continuation of um, shoppers being interested in the early holiday deal season. Um, more of that interest going to online than has gone in the past. Um, that being said, one of the observations we made this year, and I think that's consistent with most industry observations, um, e-commerce sales were up fairly dramatically, and uh, store traffic looked about flat, maybe a little bit down, but that's going to vary wildly by retailer. So, so that's one one trend, which is that you are you are cl- clearly continuing to see shoppers move a little bit more of their share of wallet to the online world, uh, though continuing to balance out both uh, in-store and online purchasing. Um, I think the second theme we saw was that a lot of the signage in store this year even was probably less about quote-unquote Black Friday or the special season, and more about the broader holiday season. And I think this is one of the areas where retailers are intelligently recalibrating, which is that they're trying to get this promotional, the early promotional frenzy to tie out towards gaining share of wallet over the entirety of the holiday period. Because that in the end is the only way this is really useful. You know, if I take a $200 TV and sell it to you for $300, I can do that all, or $300 TV and sell it to you for $200. I can do that all day. Um, It just doesn't really help me very much as a business, unless there's some ancillary effect of that that brings you back into my ecosystem to spend more. And um, I think that's the other theme that we saw too this year. And I think you saw this at um, a number of retailers, whether it was Target, um, you know, with, um, you know, when on Friday, if you spend $50, you got a coupon for 20% off for a future shopping trip. Uh, Kohl's was really pushing its gift cards. So I think a lot of this was a, a lot of the uh, promotions we saw this year were aimed at really keeping shoppers in the ecosystem. The last big thing 
theme we saw this year, which is not surprising given the demise of Toys R Us in 2018, was that literally everybody was selling toys. Um, so, you know, Walmart was selling toys, Target was selling toys, but I mean, Home Depot had a toy display up this year, which I think is uh, indicative of the fact that I think everybody was trying to get a piece of the action uh, left on the table by the uh, left on the table by Toys R Us not being a part of the holiday shopping season. So those are those are those are a few observations. That's excellent, Brian. Well, there's definitely a lot to unpack there. So I figure we'll just take them step by step. We can, um, you know, ask some follow up questions and get a little bit more of your commentary. So you touched a little bit on um, Black Friday weekend performance, yes. um, mainly the rise of e-commerce, which to your point is a pretty consistent and ongoing trend that we've been seeing over the past few years. Um, but what about the entire retail ecos ecosystem to to your, your point? Um, how were retailers navigating that convergence of digital and physical? Um, were there any key best practices that you saw? Or, or most of all, were there any faux pas or, or lost opportunities? Because I know we're, we're constantly dealing with that uh, tug of war, so to speak, between retailers that are successfully embracing that, that convergence of digital and physical to create that unified experience, and those that are still operating in that, in that disjointed fashion. So what, what were you seeing from, from that? perspective um i think um i think it's a good question i think the uh the strength that we saw this year was in uh was was in retailers that were getting really smart and i think you're starting to see more of this across the board um not just during this holiday season but in general about retailers getting smart about viewing their stores and their digital um, their digital environments as, as really part of the same ecosystem. And look, every every retail CEO in, the, CEO in the world will say the word omni-channel at least once in the first two sentences of a Wall Street presentation, and they'll all talk about seamless connectivity and the all of that. But in real life, there are, you know, as your listeners probably well know, there are some real sort of brass tax issues around this in terms of, well, if that sign in this aisle is about the website, you know, it's not going to drive sales in this aisle and some buyer somewhere is going to get antsy because they're not going to make their number. I think retailers are starting to work their way through some of what I would call the operational messiness of Omnichannel. And this gets at really a broader theme that we talk about a lot with our clients who are both suppliers and retailers, which is kind of the omni-channel world is going through what I would call adolescence. So um, I don't know how many of the listeners have teenagers at home, but I do. And I think one of the one of the things you observe with adolescence is, is that they have the physical attributes and external look of something that's mature and the internal processes of uh, something that's quite different than that. And I think that's a lot of where retail is in the omni-channel world. I think we are going through omni-channel adolescence. There's a lot of the appearance of mature strategy and sometimes astonishingly high levels of maturity, but some trip ups that you see along the way. But I think by and large, the retailers that we saw were doing well, we're really thinking about this in an organized way. Um, the faux pas, probably not so many faux pas so much. I mean, you know, you could critique individual retailers and the items they put on promotion and the degree of discounting they do. But, you know, you know. That's kind of where it is. I think a lost opportunity, to be honest, for us is realizing that a lot of shoppers, even ones that do shop early in the holiday season, 
then disengage for a couple of weeks and then start to reshop again, you know, like the week before Christmas or even a couple of days before Christmas. And I do think there's a real opportunity for retailers that they leave on the table every year to create almost what I would call like a mini Black Friday or a second cyber weekend, if you will, all aimed at really recapturing those last minute shoppers. I don't, you've seen retailers start to do a little bit more of that in recent years, but that's an area that we would expect to see smart retailers really ramp up uh, both this year and in years to come. That's a great point, Brian. It kind of brings me to a follow-up question around the role of deals and sales, um, because what, one of the key things that, that we've been seeing over the years is that that official kickoff to the holiday season is happening earlier and earlier, right? It's just the reality of the industry as it is today. Um, but that also means that you know there is an extension of that more uh, price-driven shopping behavior, right? More deals, more sales, more coupons. Um, so I have to ask, do you think that this is a, a case or there will be a case of discount fatigue or, or deal fatigue on the end of the shopper? Because I know personally, it becomes a bit of a headache, right? So to kind of look at all of my options and say, okay, well, what deal is happening this week? And do I wait because it's going to be slashed even more in the next week? I mean, it's a lot for the shopper to navigate. So I'm wondering if you have any particular thoughts on that. Um, you know, how, how retailers can assess and optimize that strategy. So they're striking that right balance between providing right the right deals and discounts while still you know creating that um, that ideal holiday shopping experience for their consumers. I think in an ideal world, there would be one simple answer to that question, but I just don't think there is because I think a lot of it depends on the the context of the retailer's relationship with its shoppers, right? So you know, I think that, you know, if you're a retailer like Kohl's, where so much of the the communication rhythm Kohl's has with its shoppers is around promotions, that that's going to continue forever. That's just, if Kohl's is going to be a successful company, that's how they're going to do that. Can they do that smarter, more intelligently with, you know, less damage to margins and all that? Probably. And I'm sure they, I, I know Kohl's, they're working on this all the time in terms of optimizing that. But Kohl's is always going to have a promotional rhythm to its conversation with the shoppers. The, so with that, I think you need to be smart and intelligent about where that goes. I think the digital world is interesting for this. If you just take like that part of the retail world, because promotional reaction time to publicly available prices is instantaneous. I think that's actually much harder to do. And I think one of the reasons why you're seeing retailers start to think more and more about how they communicate to their loyal shoppers best is that eventually I think you're going to move into a world where, which is more digital, where a lot of the promotions that people get are going to need to be delivered to them outside of the public domain. And that's going to create a, I think a slightly different rhythm to how, how promotional pricing works. Um, it's just going to be too hard in a Cyber Monday world, unless you're running these things like Amazon does and everybody does, where you're running these prices for an hour or two, um, 
to maintain any point of difference because it's just too easy for pricing algorithms to copy what uh, you know what another website is doing. And I think shoppers are starting to get used to the idea that in the digital world, uh, price superiority is relatively hard to come by for an extended period of time. So I think you get the digital world where promotions, I think, are going to have to be delivered very differently and in a more personalized, targeted, and out of the public domain way. I think in the brick and mortar world, I think that answer varies very much by retailer um, in terms of promotional fatigue and whether the promotions are like they are for Kohl's, sort of the foundation of how that communication works, or whether they are for you know retailers like Macy's who are constantly talking to the investment community about the need to promote out um, inventory that hasn't moved, whether they are something that's emblematic of something that's not quite working right. So, so I think promotions are different. I guess the, the short answer is the nature of promotions is a little bit different depending on the retailer. But yes, I think some retailers are going to need to be much more careful about how they do that, because if they move themselves towards an entirely promotional value proposition, that changes everything from how they think about merchandising to seasonality and timing to um, inventory levels to their basic economics. So I think that's a big piece there. I do think that, yes, in general, with the, the holiday shopping season, I personally, this is just my own opinion, I I don't, I don't even think anybody in my company agrees with me on this. I personally think you're going to start to see a logical consolidation of the start of the holiday shopping season as the world globalizes. That's on or about Singles Day in China, which is November 11th. Um, and then I think you'll see sort of slow lead-ins to that. I think Singles Day by, call it 2022, will be a much more global phenomenon, and a number of retailers will engage in that. And I think the American retailers, where this, where the Friday, where Thanksgiving, see, it's a genuinely American holiday. So I think the American retailers will start to mess around with promotional cadence between Singles Day and Thanksgiving. And I think all of this will smooth itself out a little bit over time. Oh, that's very fascinating. That's definitely something that we'll be keeping an eye on um, because I know from our coverage on Retail Touchpoint, Singles Day is definitely getting a lot of buzz. We're, we're seeing that increased interest, th those stellar results. So it'll be interesting to see how retailers around the world try to uh, capitalize on that. Um, J just, just one great throwaway statistic on Singles Day. Yeah. JD.com JD and Alibaba, the two big Chinese omni-channel um, um, e-commerce customers, sold more in the first hour of Singles Day than the entire American retail ecosystem sold during uh, in, in the digital world in the five days between Thanksgiving and Cyber Monday. So, so wow. that's just a, just a, just as a frame of reference, you know, Alibaba sold $31 billion worth of stuff in one day. So, so, which is always just a, just an eye popping number. I'm pretty sure that if you add it up, JD.com and Alibaba's performance on November 11th, it's like one of the 25 largest retailers in the world. Just that one day of retail for those two retailers. Wow, that's fascinating and definitely a, a significant opportunity, I think. Um, but I, I do want to go back to a few of the points that, that you just shared with me, Brian, because I, I think you bring some good points up, um, you know, around the navigation or the balance between, um, you know, digital uh, deals and sales, that, that opportunity to further tailor or personalize um, th those uh, engagements or, or those offers to customers on at the segment level or even the personal level and balancing that with the store experience or the store opportunity. So um, I, I have to ask, what opportunity do you think store experience kind of brings into this whole equation? Because 
I feel like during the holiday season, and again, this is just re- reverting back to my own shopping behaviors, the online experience is more like, okay, I have this list of stuff that I need to get. You know, the prices are right. Um, I have time right now, so let me just, you know, check all the boxes. Let's get this done. Whereas I'm going to the store, you know, whether it's the shopping mall, a department store, a specific store, you know, standalone store, um, I'm going to have that experience. So, what opportunities do retailers have to differentiate in that area where like the deals and the sales almost augment or support the in-store experience, but the store is where the loyal customers go to, you know, participate in that deeper engagement with the store? Do you, do you find that retailers are, you know, capitalizing on that opportunity this year? Is that still something that they're trying to figure out? I think it's a I think at holiday it's a it's a tricky one, right? Because the the store is never busier than it is during the holiday season. So you're so I think there are definitely two types of um, experiential thinking you can see retailers trying to uh, trying to pick up and deploy. One of which is you know, and this is not the sexy kind of experience, but one of which is just just to make the experience as unbad as possible so and the easiest analogy the easiest analogy to this is just like you know apart from prime day when amazon's website crashed and you had pictures of puppies all day uh for a couple hours but for the most part like if you go on amazon you we can argue back and forth all day whether amazon is a good experience or not the one thing you can unquestionably say is this is not a bad one um it is an utterly frictionless website load speeds crash rates basket draw, all that, it, it works, right? And I do think one of the challenges that the brick and mortar retailers have, particularly at holiday, particularly for deeply seasonal retailers, where a number of the people working in the store are temporary help, this is a really big question. I think the retailers that can nail that problem and minimize the outages in service when you've got people that are not used to that level of volume in the store or have not worked there before, that's a really big competency and a big differentiator between retailers that can pull off holiday and retailers that can't. One of the big problem, one of the reasons why Toys R Us is no longer here is they couldn't do that. Toys R Us could never get its temporary help to execute at the level that it's that was required to be able to manage the store during its busiest time of year. So I think that's one. I think the secondary experience is that if I were a retailer, I would think very much about the type of experience the shopper wants to have in that type of shopping mode. And I think the experiences here probably work better than they do at other points during the year. And I think there's two specific types, one of which is convincing someone that the person they're buying the gift for is going to like this product. So the example that you and I were going back and forth on before the podcast about what Canada Goose is doing with their freezer chamber, that's a really good idea. Like if you're trying to buy one of those jackets for your your son or your dad or your mom or whatever it is, getting a chance to try it and feel how well it works is a really great selling tool for that specific type of purchase experience. I think the the second type, which is I think really interesting, and this is something that um, retailers like um, you know some of the uh, some like uh, some of the natural retailers have done a nice job of this over the years. Is just thinking about the type of experience that can re-energize a shopper as they're going through. The one thing you don't want to do to somebody on a holiday shopping um, on a holiday shopping day 
is expect them to devote an enormous amount of their energy to what you want them to do. You want them to leave net energy up because that's the, that's the trick. If you've got hands full of bags, if you've got 12 more stores to go to in a crowded mall before you go home, if the mall's closing in two hours and you know you've got a lot left to do, if you're gonna jader in an experience, it's gotta be an experience dedicated and aimed to creating energy um, and really giving that shopper sort of the boost that they need. And that's where everything from coffee or tea to um, really quick, fun experiences. But the one thing you don't wanna do is try an experience where the shopper's gotta dedicate an enormous amount of time, one, and mental energy, two, to the experience you're trying to give them. I don't think the holiday season is the time where you're trying to teach the shopper how the Canada goose jacket keeps you warm. Showing them how it keeps you warm in a fun way is a much better idea. That's great, Brian. De definitely some great insights there. And you know, I think you bring up a good point about understanding those different shopper scenarios, right? And I and I think that's often something that you know retailers understand they need to do, but you know, I'm not sure whether all of that time and attention goes into understanding, okay, well, what type of shopper journeys will be taking place in my store specifically? Who will be looking for, you know, that quick and seamless experience and who will want to have that deeper engagement? What do those different scenarios look like and how can I remove those different friction points? So I, I guess my follow-up question to that then is, you know, the holiday season seems to be a point where retailers can kind of flex their their creative muscle, so to speak, and test different experiences, see what shoppers respond to. They can kind of stretch the creative limits a, a little bit more. But how can they take you know what what they find during the holiday season, plus just general insights about their shopper? How can they use this information, aggregate it, and and leverage it to determine? Okay, well, how can this apply to my experience? moving forward, you know, whether that's in 2019 or, or beyond? Um, I think that's, I think there's a couple of, there's a couple of really interesting ideas in that question, actually, because you've got to, because I think there's two things that retailers need to think about in that, well, three probably, actually, because two are, two are, one A, one B, and two. Okay, so, so one A is trying to think about the type of experience, <laughs> okay. the, the type of experience that's best going to amplify the idea that that shopper has of that retailer in their mind, right? So, you know, if I am, you know, and that's where you really have to tap into what the essence of the experience is. So a great, a, a great example of a retailer that doesn't really do anything specific to do this, but has an entire format built on this is TJ Maxx, right? TJ Maxx is a very specific experience. And the entire store is kind of engineered at providing that consistent experience, that treasure hunt that I... I know I'm going to find great stuff here. I'm not sure exactly what it's going to be. I know it's going to be at a price point that is incredibly enticing. Um, you know, I know that you know TJ Maxx is a great store for value conscious, and it's also a great store for for very fashion confident shoppers to go to because it's like, look, I I know I know what I want. I know what looks good. I don't need I don't need an expensive infrastructure at a high end department store to tell me that. I just need to find something really good, really cheap. So so um, so I think so that's that's a retailer that's got its experience really well understood in terms of what it delivers. Trader Joe's is very similar with that is in a completely different way. Very similar with knowing the type of experience that its shoppers are looking for and goes there and engineering the whole store to do that. Um, I think there are, 
you know, I think I think retail, I think most retailers today don't have as clear an understanding of what the ideal the idealized version of their experience is, right? So if I were a retailer, I would probably try to get five or ten of my smartest people in a room and just with research, but also just talking it through, get to like a one paragraph summary of what is the ultimate XYZ retailer experience, right? What is the, and then figure out what's going to reflect that. And then I think the second theme that you got to um, in your question, which is dead right, is what's the shopper going to want on a holiday shopping weekend out of us that might be different than that or might matter where that would manifest itself differently, right? So if I'm buying for others, does that, is that a different experience than buying on my own? I'm gonna have more men in my store than I ever have at any other time in the year. Do I need to think about that? Um, I'm gonna have that, therefore I'm gonna have more, peop more people that are probably less, less informed about what it is they're buying than I do any other time of the year. How do I think about that? You know, if I uh, focus group of one research, but you know, I live in New Jersey. The you know the Neiman Marcus in the Short Hills Mall is brilliant at this. Um, there are no better there are no better people in the world at helping lost men buy gifts than the jewelry people at Neiman Marcus in December. So um, so so um, so that that kind of thing I think is a really big deal. So I get you got a whole section there around what the what that experience is. Then the second one is is just what can we reliably execute quickly without the risk of creating friction. And I do think sometimes retailers in their quest for experience um, will get out over their skis a little bit in terms of what they're actually capable of executing um, and then create something which sounds great in theory, but that just doesn't work repeatedly well over time. And that's the piece, that's the piece that's really big, right? Because the, the, you don't get credit for good intentions if you create an experience that doesn't work properly. So, so that's the um, that's the other piece. That's excellent, Brian. So you you really provided a framework, <laughs> I, I think. Um, you know of what retailers need to be thinking about, not just in the holiday season, but beyond as well, right? Because we're hearing more and more about the role of the store experience because. Consumers are getting so much in, in that digital realm. It's all about how do we continue to differentiate at the store level while still, you know, maintaining efficiencies, you know, making smarter decisions, you know, in terms of um, inventory levels, you know, inventory planning, um, you know, workforce management, things of that nature. So I think I think you brought up some great best practices that, that retailers need to be thinking about. Um, but to, to that end, you know, beyond Canada do, Goose, of course, um, are, are there any other stellar examples that you've seen so far this holiday season that you're like, dang, that's actually really cool. Like, I want to experience that. I know you brought up Neiman Marcus as well, but um, are there any other examples that rise to the top? Um, I think um, maybe a couple, um, you know, and you know, <laughs> Neiman Marcus is always good, but I think um, I, I do think that the retailer that, the retailer that's probably been trying to solve the problem of what a store is supposed to do in a truly transformed digital and omni-channel world the longest is probably Best Buy. So I think sometimes it's really good to go. It's sometimes good to just wander around Best Buy for a while and look at kind of the decisions they made. They're not perfect. They don't do everything right. Um, and they're not necessarily what I would call, you know, I mean, they're not the, they're not the pantheon of all retail. They do make very intelligent decisions sometimes around what it is they're trying to accomplish. So um, 
I was in a relatively remodeled Best Buy yesterday, um, a relatively newish one, and just the amount of space they had dedicated to being able to try one of the most logical gifting items that you see during the holiday, which is headphones, was astonishing, right? I don't know how many different headphone try-on spots they had in different departments in the store, and they also had them everywhere. So they had them next to speakers, they had them in gaming, they had, so there was just a whole series of different sort of high-end testing headphone experiences you could have in a variety of different places. And again, that's not rocket science, but what it is, it's an incredibly useful experience. Um, if I were looking for, if I were looking for headphones this year, uh, for, for somebody, which I wasn't, but uh, if I was, that would have been an incredibly valuable um, thing to do uh, to be able to knock that down. Um, you know, I think that's, I think in the dot-com world, you know, I, I do think the, um, you know, I do think some of the classic examples of the dot-com retailers that are building stores like Casper, I did, that's just a really clever store um, in terms of how they've thought about what the role is that that store can play in their their particular business model's purchase conversion funnel. Um, you know, Wayfair building pop-up stores is a really good idea for them. Um, if you go around the country uh, today, you'll see, uh, you'll see that Samsung has carved out some really cool, simple pop-up stores that are right in mall locations that, that people can get in and out of. Um, so I think, there are, I think there are some good, example, good examples in sort of, uh, and then I think the retailers that are, that are, the retailers that are always good at experience tend to do this stuff well too. Um, one of my favorite examples of a sort of a peripheral experience that was pretty recent, and it, so it wasn't quite holiday, it was a little bit before that, was uh, what Sephora did with a uh, program called Sephoria. Um, and this was in, they ran this in LA towards the end of October and it was a two day thing and they invited all of their, whatever their top tier loyalty members are, you got to go, um, or you got an invite and then there were, they just had all these different rooms It's celebrities there. Um, you know, it, this created deeply Instagrammable moments as you went from room to room and all really aimed at a very different type of experience that you had as and a real value for being one of their premium shoppers and um you know day in day out there's probably again one of the retailers you could just learn a ton from um just hanging out in their stores for a day as sephora they're just really really good at what they do um and i thought that was an interesting way to try to frame up experience not store-based but really thinking about who you want to give a great experience to how you do that and almost really over delivering on that as a concept so those are some those are some good ideas i the thing I found this year, though, is that I don't know that the brick-and-mortar retailers, by and large, are doing a great job of this at holiday, because I think so much of their concern is just around making the store work properly, that I don't know that this is the time of year where you see the really great experiential ideas kick in. But to the point where we were talking about before, maybe really thinking about what those experiences should be um, delivered simply and quickly might be a good idea. Great, great, Brian. Yeah, and I feel like we can dig into those examples for hours, right? Like Sephora. I mean, oh, sure. th those examples are around Instagrammable moments and, and the role that technology plays in, in augmenting that experience at every touch point. It's not that technology is replacing anything, it's supporting the people, whether it's that the consumer or the employees. So I definitely think there are some great um, points of inspiration there for our listeners. Um, but I, I know we're coming off at the end of our time now, Brian. So before we close things off, um, I have to ask, you know, since we're in that space between Thanksgiving weekend where we really kick things off and, and of course, the new year, um, wh what do you think is going to 
come ahead, you know, for, for retailers? Uh, where, where do you think sales are going to go? Will we continue to see that rise in e-commerce and mobile commerce like we have over the past few years? What, what, what should they be looking forward to? Well, yeah, I think the uh, I think if you look at the long term trends, yes, um, you know, e commerce is a relatively predictable um, sort of share. Like if you look at e commerce growth around the world, e commerce gains about uh, one to one and a half share points across all retail um, in most of the most of the high income per capita markets in the world. Um, e commerce gains about one to one and a half share points a year. Um, that'll continue for the foreseeable future, but. My guess is sometime in 2025 or, or thereabouts, that definition is going to make a lot less sense in terms of what's e-commerce and what isn't. So I remember a few years ago, somebody asked Terry Lundgren, what, uh, Macy's, what percentage of his business was going to be uh, you know, digital in 10 years. And he just looked at me and goes, I don't care. Like, I have no idea and I don't care. Um, the only way to answer that question is I just hope, I just hope my business overall is much bigger than it is now. Um, I do think that line's going to get much blurrier over the years. Um, but for now, that's about the share, share game we see. Mobile's going to become a much bigger part of both the e-commerce experience in terms of how people buy and the in-store experience in terms of how people use mobile to navigate. And I do think if I had to make a prediction, I would say that 2019 may be the year that retailers finally start to get really smart about what the phone is supposed to do in an in-store trip, like what the linkage is between um, mobile-based content, um, the retailer's app, and their store. I think you're going to see real improvement in that area just because there's there's no other way to do it, right? I mean, you know, you know, 71% of American digital time is spent on a mobile device. And the amount of real thinking that goes into how that mobile device plays a role in shopping isn't very high. Um, I think um, I think voice will continue to be an interesting thing. Um, and um, it'll be very interesting to see how Google and Amazon, who are really the two big players in that space, how that continues to come to life. Um, I think brick and mortar, right? Brick and mortar may have a ropeier 2019 than people think, just because it's had a very good 2018. Um, you know, largely due to economic stimulus, which you know, I'm not a I'm not a PhD in economics, but I think the general consensus is is that you're probably not going to have a year in 2019 that repeats 2018's growth in disposable income, and that's going to present that presents challenges because no one ever really understands retailers' results very well. So the publicly traded retailers are going to start to bring results to the market that are less impressive than this year's. And that's going to create a whole new round of really dumb retail apocalypse stories um, that that are um, that are the bane of my existence. So um, so I've actually started doing a presentation just called Apocalypse Not instead of Apocalypse Now, um, just, <laughs> just to try to try to help people understand that that's not what's happening. You know, there are there are retailers that are in trouble and disruptive times always accelerate the the um, shrinking or demise of businesses that are troubled, but that's it. That's what's happening. Anyway, um, I do think the, I do think this idea of deciding where and when I want to be experiential and how versus where and when I want to be frictionless is a conversation you're going to, that a lot of smart retailers are going to be having a lot over the next year or two. How do I decide that? Where do I do that? How does that work? Um, I also think that um, this idea of temporary retail locations is a big one. And whether that is event-based like Sephora, whether that's pop-up stores, whether that's, you know, I, I think there's a lot to this idea of being able to create excitement and a newish experience in a temporary small space that, 
um, that I can use where I can learn a lot, I can experiment, I can gather data. I, I think that's a really interesting trend that I think you'll see as well. Um, there's probably 14 or 15 others I'm not thinking of, but that seems like a seems like a pretty good, seems like a pretty good place to leave it, I guess. I don't know. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I think this is definitely a good starting point for uh, all the retailers listening. We definitely don't want to overwhelm them, but you know, to your point, it's a really exciting. Um, time in retail. There's a lot going on. There's a lot changing and evolving. And to your point, it definitely points to the fact that, you know, this isn't necessarily an apocalypse. It's an evolution or, um, you know, a, a new era, so to speak. But to, to your point around, you know, a lot of more insights to, to share, um, if anyone listening wants to learn a little bit more about the research that you're doing at Kantar um, Consulting, any of the insights that your team has shared, where, where can they go to get that? Well, there's um, the the primary platform that we distribute retail insights around the world through is through uh, is through two websites. One is CantarConsulting.com. Um, so that's spelled K-A-N-T-A-R and consulting as it is always spelled dot com, um, which will give you insights both on the retail and consumer trends that Cantar Consulting. Um, captures and tracks around the world. Uh, for more retail-specific stuff, um, the, that would be the platform KantarRetailIQ.com or KRIQ.com. And that is the uh, the Retail Insights platform that, uh, that we've been distributing mostly to the manufacturers that sell to retailers around the world for, um, you know, 20, 25 years or so. So that's a, and that's a, that's a key, that's a key delivery platform for our insights. Uh, we run a bunch of events around the world and you can see all those on the uh, Cantar Consulting website. And if for some reason after this, you've decided you want to hear more of what I have to say, um, I, I, we run a, we run a podcast called uh, Cantar Consulting's Retail Soundbites. And uh, if you just Google some combination of Brian Gildenberg and Cantar and podcast, you'll get there. So, so um, I have the virtue of being the only Brian Gildenberg, I think. Of the <laughs> Makes my life much easier in a Google era. So, all right, excellent, Brian. Well, um, th thanks again so much for uh, sharing your insights today, and to everyone listening, we'll share the links to those um, websites and those uh, resources for you, so you can easily click those. Um, they'll be in the show notes for you. Brian, thanks again so much for uh, taking the time out to speak with me today. I think we dug into a lot of different topics, and you know, there's a lot more to discuss. So, hopefully, we can reconnect soon. Uh, that would be great. And uh, thank you. And uh, have a happy, uh, have a happy post Black Friday holiday season. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Holiday Insights series. Our conversation today only scratches the surface of all the opportunities retailers have to surprise and delight customers during this magical time of year. And if you're looking for more holiday insights, just visit our podcast hub or the Salesforce Holiday Resource page, which are linked in the show notes.